Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. We invite you today to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We are in a series on Sunday morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke. We entitled the series, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. This morning, we're going to take up where we left off from last week. Last Sunday morning, we, we saw one of the, considered to be one of the seven most important uh, times of Jesus' uh, ministry in what, we, what is called the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. And if, in that passage, Jesus met there and invited three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, along with him for that, uh, for that time. And he, uh, uh, during that time, they'd actually fallen asleep. But when they awoke, they saw the Lord Jesus uh, there with uh, uh, Moses and uh, Elijah, who came there from heaven to be with him for that time. And, uh, and he was in a glorified state, and the disciples were were uh, amazed and overwhelmed, of course, uh, as, as the Lord Jesus uh, was revealed to them in, in the glory that he had in heaven and also would have again in his, his second coming. And, and it was a glorious time. They want, it was so wonderful, they wanted to stay there and, uh, and build three tabernacles, three tents, if you will, for, uh, for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Uh, but after they left, the Father said to them, this is my uh, chosen one, this is my beloved son, listen to him, hear him. And so now the passage we're coming to is on the, uh, the following day, the day after that glorious transfiguration experience, uh, again, where Jesus appeared in glory. And, and, uh, and of course, in this, at this time, the Bible says they come down uh, from this mountaintop experience, and uh, they were met by a large group of people and, uh, and of course, the, the nine disciples were among them, those nine that didn't go uh, to the uh, mountaintop experience, uh, and they were surrounded by people. And, and, and you read the other gospel accounts where it's also included in Mark and Matthew, and, and, uh, and you learn more by reading those passages. Uh, there was a, a discussion going on, uh, sort of an argument, I guess you'd say, and there were scribes, Jewish leaders among them in this uh, discussion. And so Jesus, as he approached them, asked them what they were uh, arguing about, what they were discussing. Well, uh, they didn't tell him, but the reason came forth quickly uh, when a father cried out from the crowd, a desperate father, that, that he had come to, his, to Jesus' nine disciples and asked them to heal his, his son, his epileptic son, uh, who was demon-possessed, and they were completely unable. In other words, they failed. Uh, but these, uh, these scribes, these enemies of Jesus had seized the moment to mock the powerlessness of these disciples and really to undermine their ministry as disciples of Jesus. And so this is the setting of the event on this day after uh, uh, the, the most glorious day to this point of Jesus' ministry thus far. What a disappointment. Disappointment to uh, Jesus, disappointment to the disciples, uh, disappointment uh, to the crowd, certainly to the Father uh, of this Son and to the Son as well. And so that's the setting I want you to see as we open our scripture here to, to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading there in verse 37. And I want to invite you once again, if you will, stand with me as we read this passage together. Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin uh, reading with verse... Um, 37, and we'll read through verse 45. 
Scripture says, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son to bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask, any, ask him about this saying. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. And I'll be preaching from this passage a message entitled, Learning from Jesus in the School of Failure. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful time of worship, uh, Lord Jesus, as we've had the opportunity to come uh, as Scripture invites us, as you invite us to come and bring to you the sacrifices of our praise and of our worship and of our joy and of our very lives. And I pray that every believer in this place has already done that. And Lord, now, uh, Lord, in this spirit of worship, as we continue to bring our sacrifices, even of our hearts today and of our ears, to hear and receive the truth of the Word of God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have given to us your Holy Spirit as our teacher. We thank you that you've given us the, the gift of illumination to understand and to receive truth and to apply it and appropriate it, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to obey it. And I pray that every hearer this morning will do just that. They'll not be merely a hearer, but also a doer, an obey, obedient hearer of the Word of God, and that our lives will be transformed. Lord, I know this passage may be to many uh, familiar, but I pray God will see it with fresh eyes, with a fresh heart. And God, I pray for any in our midst, once again, who do not know Christ, that even this passage, Lord, will be used to awaken their heart and awaken their faith to come to a realization of their need for Christ. Be glorified, Lord, in the outcome of this time together, and may our lives be further conformed to the likeness of Christ. We love you, we exalt you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever failed the Lord? Of course you have. We all have. Um, maybe you don't like to think about this, but do you remember the last time you failed the Lord? Probably so. Well, I have news for you. That won't be your last time. You will fail the Lord. Again, uh, we know that we, are, we haven't arrived. God's still working on us, uh, and, and God, uh, we're not sinless yet, 
And so we do continue uh, to fail the Lord. And aren't we grateful, as we saw last Sunday, and, and the Lord Jesus in his, with his disciples, and even in the midst of their misunderstanding who he was and what he was doing, uh, that, that he was patient with them. And, and he's patient with us. But I want to remind you, as we're going to see in this passage, while he's patient and while he's forgiving, uh, you won't find in this incident that we are looking at today Jesus excusing failure when it could be avoided. But you will see Jesus using failure as an opportunity to teach and mature us. Thus, the reason for the title of our message today, Learning from Jesus in the School of failure. God intends for failure to be put to work in our lives and to be used from that. As one called it, failing forward, and, and that, that God might uh, teach us and grow us further in the likeness of Christ, which is his purpose for our lives. So if you will, from this passage today, note five truths from this passage and this, this wonderful account of learning from Jesus in the school of failure. First of all, in the midst of this, we, we learn and understand that Jesus cares for our troubled world. Jesus cares for our troubled world. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I want to remind you that this happened on the very next day. Uh, don't know exactly when they came down from the mountain. They, they came down after that wonderful experience. It was obviously in the night. They were worn out and they were tired. And now it's the next day following that glorious transfiguration experience when those disciples saw the, the Lord Jesus in his glory as he was before leaving heaven and as he is now and as he will be when he comes again in his second, in his second coming and for us. Uh, and so now they come immediately to face this spiritual crisis, if we will. Well, you know, this is not the first time. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the uh, an experience we've seen earlier in the life account and ministry of Jesus in the gospel was immediately after the temptation of Jesus. When did that happen? Immediately, the temptation followed immediately after his baptism experience. When again, the father had spoken and again said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. So that's a reminder to us that so very, very often in our lives, if not always, it seems that right after that great mountaintop spiritual experience in our lives immediately is followed by a spiritual crisis or spiritual warfare in our lives. And, uh, and so that also ought to remind us that we should be prepared for that. That's why we can never uh, let down our guard. That's why we must always be equipped and ready and prayed up and put on the whole armor of God as Scripture tells us to do. And so again, we, we see that. And what, what happened here? Remember, uh, a man as we've read from this crowd, shouted out to Jesus, having been a part of this uh, experience here, again, as we said, no doubt an, an, an argument taking place, a discussion taking place, but a man from the crowd cr shouted out to Jesus, pleading with him to look at his son, as we see there uh, in, uh, again, verse uh, 37, verse 38, he said, teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And the idea here of looking on his son has the idea of, of looking at with concern to pay special attention to. You know, you, you do that when you, you go to the doctor, you want him to look at you, to examine you, to see your need. Uh, and, and you're uh, wanting that need to be met. And that's exactly the way this father was, re was responding. Matthew records that he said, have mercy on us. Uh, he was wanting the Lord Jesus to meet the need of his son. And then he went on to describe his son 
to the Lord Jesus. He, uh, he described all that his son had endured under demon possession, screaming, convulsions, foaming at the mouth. The other gospel writers include falling down and, and even falling into the fire and falling into water, no doubt with the uh, intention of this demon to, uh, to destroy his son, to, to burn him and, to, and to, to drown him and to destroy his life. And uh, the father indicated that, that there was seldom ever a peaceful moment. Can you imagine? Can you just think about what life must have been like for this family, for this father? We don't know it. We don't read about a mother here or other children, but, but no doubt there were other people around them and even people in their neighborhood, people all around them. Can you imagine what life must have been like for this precious and poor family. You know, even today, we're told that some 80% of couples who have a handicapped child or whose child dies cannot handle the pressure and their marriages end in divorce. You've known those. You've known those things to happen, those experiences. You know how hard that is. Well, you can imagine how hard it must have been like for this family. And notice he does point out, and I made a mistake a moment ago. I said something about other children. There weren't other children, right? Uh, and because he makes it clear that this son was their only son. And literally the word used here is the word um, only begotten son. The same phrase, same word that's used of the Lord Jesus, that he was God's only begotten son. This child was his only begotten son. He was saying to him, Jesus, will you do something? Will you have mercy on him? He is all all we have. And so you can just imagine again the, the brokenheartedness of this father. Jesus had come down from the mountain of glory and he came down uh, from heaven in our sinful world. Again, because he cares. He does care. He cares about the needs of our lives. And in fact, Matthew 9, uh, 36, we read that passage that says, and, and I read it, by the way, the, the, in, in Mark this morning in my reading, but Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus does care for our troubled world. He loves you and he loves your family. He's aware of the needs that are existing in your life and he cares for them very much. You know, uh, one of the things I want to remind you of or point out to you in this passage, this father's greatest concern was for his son. He cared for him very, very deeply. And his greatest concern was for this spiritual need in his life. His son was demon-possessed, and, and, uh, and he cared for him. And, and again, as the spiritual leader of his home, his greatest concern was for his family. I want to ask you this morning, uh, moms and dads, especially dads as a spiritual leader of your home, and even grandparents, your responsibility. You have a vital, important role in the life of your grandchildren and your, your family members, your, your sons and daughters and daughters-in-law and sons-in-law and, and your families. What is the greatest concern that you have for your family? Is your greatest concern for your children how successful they are? Or is it where they're going to spend eternity? Is your greatest concern for your children, uh, your school-aged children, what their grades are and how well they're doing in, in school? Or, or again, uh, is it their walk with Christ? Is, it, is your greatest concern and your greatest joy how much money they're making, again, and, and how successful they are in that sense? Or, or again, how much they love Jesus? This man's concern was 
his, the spiritual need. And, and if Jesus had not come down from heaven, if Jesus had not come down from the mountain as Peter had wanted them to stay there, if they'd not come down and descended in, 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 in every sense of the word, then this child would have not been delivered. And dear friend, it, it is a reminder to us that just as uh, the enemy wanted, no doubt, to, to, to keep Jesus on the mountain and to keep him in heaven and not to come down, he wants us to, to stay in the comfort of our church buildings. He wants us to think church is, is what happens inside the walls when in reality church is who we are outside the walls, making an impact on our world with the gospel. And it's a reminder to us that God calls us to leave the comfort of our church buildings and leave the comfort of our classes and leave the comfort of our community groups and our homes and go into the community and make an impact because that's what Jesus called us to do and Jesus modeled for us and has commissioned us to go into all the world. So again, Jesus cares for our troubled world. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus confronts the cause of our powerlessness. Jesus confronts the cause of our powerlessness. Again, remember, we entitled uh, this message, Learning uh, from Jesus in the School of Failure. Jesus never failed, but we do. And, and again, remember, he came, and the, the, what this whole uh, discussion and argument was about was because of the disciples' inability to be able to cast out this demon. And, uh, and notice uh, again in this, this passage, probably the saddest words that man, the, the disciples had to hear was from the mouth of this father when he, when he said, you know, I brought my, I, I asked your disciples uh, to, to cast this demon out, verse 40, but he says, but they could not. That must have broken their hearts to think. It must have stung as they heard those words. But then Jesus' words in response were even more crushing. Notice uh, the Lord Jesus said, O faithless, verse 41, and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? How disappointing. Uh, in a sense, Jesus rebuke upon them. And of course, Jesus' words about being a perverse, a crooked, if you will, generation, and, and obviously an unbelieving generation was, was inclusive of his disciples there. They were the ones who uh, had been unable to perform this, this miracle of casting out demons. And by the way, they'd had much experience with Jesus in, in going along with him as they saw him casting out demons, and, and they even themselves had already been sent out on this mission. So, so uh, it isn't that they lacked power. It isn't really that they lacked authority in the name of Jesus. He had given them that power and that authority. They had saving faith, but they failed because, again, they were not trusting in Jesus and his word. Matthew and Mark also record uh, later after this incident, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They, they said, why is it, Lord, that we could not do this. Verse uh, Matthew 17, 19 says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, because of your little faith. And so obviously faithlessness is the reason for their inability and for their powerlessness. Faithlessness, a lack of faith, not taking God at his word. Mark also in, indicates that it was not only faithlessness, but it was also prayerlessness, a closely akin 
sin in our lives, a lack of faith that is demonstrated by lack of prayer. Uh, James said in James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask. Dr. Rogers used to say, all of our failures are prayer failures. All of our failures are prayer failures. Prayerlessness, faithlessness, and prayerlessness. Faithlessness and prayerlessness. Jesus said, this is the reason for your powerlessness, your inability, and for your defeat, for your spiritual failure. You know, I can imagine what the disciples must have thought when this man came to them and said, you know, here they are. Jesus has gone to the mountain. We kind of talked a little bit in our community group last night about last week about wonder what it was like for those other disciples, you know, to not be chosen to go with Jesus. And uh, maybe they were hoping, you know, kind of thinking, well, Jesus is gone. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. He didn't invite us to go. Maybe their feelings were a little hurt. Most of ours probably would have been, right? Um, but they... Uh, they, there they were, and they thought, well, you know, here's this fella, the, the, you know, coming to us and having confidence in us that we could perform this miracle. And so, you know, they probably thought, wow. Uh, so they'd seen Jesus do it. They had experienced it themselves. And so they thought, hey, we can handle this. And they tried, and they failed. They failed. Again, we've, we've been there, haven't we? At some point or another in our spiritual lives, something we should have been able to, maybe it was in, in, in sharing the gospel, uh, you, uh, you tried to step out and, and do that and you, you, were, you failed. And, and that often is one of the reasons many people don't attempt to share the gospel or they don't attempt it again. Maybe you tried uh, giving and, and you, uh, you began to try to be obedient in that area. Then you began to have some financial difficulty and challenges. And, and, and so you backed away and you thought, I tried that and I failed. And, 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 and maybe you tried praying. Maybe you fathers tried to lead your families in and, and, and family worship time. And, and you said, we're going to do this. And, you know, your kids went wild. Man, it was crazy. And you said, man, this, I can't do this. I failed at this. I'm a failure. And so, that, and so again, the enemy wants to defeat us and for us to be defeated so that we don't seek obedience and we don't continue to persevere in spite of the trials and the challenges in our lives. And so, but, but again, the, the, the Lord Jesus was disappointed in them. They were disappointed in themselves. Obviously, this father was disappointed. Those around them were disappointed. And, and again, uh, what a disappointment. But, but what happened? Again, it was, a, it was a faith failure. It was a prayer failure. And the indication here is if the disciples had asked the Lord for his power, he would have given it to them. Otherwise, the Lord Jesus would not have rebuked them for their unbelief. He would have said, oh, it's all right, boys. I understand this was a tough one. You know, this is just hard, you know. And he would have just sort of tried to, uh, you know, sort of uh, encourage them a little bit and, and tried to tell them it was okay, but he didn't do that. And so it's an indication to us that, that they should have been uh, victorious in this matter. So what is faith, by the way? If, if, if this is a faith failure, a prayer failure, faith is believing God. It is taking God at his word. Scripture says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is true for coming into a relationship with Christ, but it is also true throughout our relationship with Christ, Romans 10, 17. So again, we all experience failures from time to time, do we not? But, but let me ask you this. Are you characterized by victory in your life 
Or would you be more characterized by failure? And if, you're, if you are truly a child of God, um, is it because of your lack of faith and your lack of prayer that you're not seeing God's power manifested in your life? Have you just become accustomed to failure? God doesn't want you to be there. He doesn't want you to live there. He came that you might have victory and that you might be victorious and, and spiritually uh, fruitful in your life. Well, Mark records a, another important statement, I think, from this father. The father, again, when he came to Jesus, said to him, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And how did Jesus respond to this man? You remember this, in, this uh, uh, account there in Mark, same story. The, 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 the Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, Jesus was putting the ball back in his court. If you can, if you can believe, if you'll take me at my word and believe what I say. And the father, you see, like, like that father, don't we often need to pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. D.L. Moody shares the the story in his life, he said, you know, for, for many, many years, he said, he said, if I had all the, if I added up all the time I spent praying for faith, he said, it would, it, it would resulted to months. He said, I thought, he said, you know, I thought faith was, was going to one day come hit me like lightning, you know, and I was going to boom, have faith. But he said, then one day I read that verse, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he said, I, he said, I read that. He said, what I'd always done is after I read my Bible, close my Bible and pray and ask for faith. But he said, but this day I opened my Bible and I began to read God's word. And he said, faith has been growing ever since. You see, folks, that is why the word of God is so essential to your faith. Because that's what faith is. Faith is believing the word of God. It's taking God at his word. And so I want to challenge you. If you want to strengthen your faith, then get into the word of God and ask God to feed your faith through the word of God. That's how we know. That's why, again, you go back to what the father said to the disciples on the mountain. What did he say to them? This is my beloved son. This is my chosen one, my chosen son, what did he say? Hear him, literally, listen to him. If you want to know how to get your faith stronger, if you want to be strengthened and, and to, to believe God, then feed your faith with the word of God. And, and listen, let me just put it this way, folks. It, it's not like Vitalis or Brill Cream. Now, the younger generation will have to go Google that to know what I'm talking about. It's not like Brill Cream. What did Brill Cream, what did Brill Cream commercial say, folks? A little dab will do you. Well, folks, that's not, a little dab of the Word of God won't do you, okay? Get in the Word. Don't be rushed in your time in the Word. Get in the Word and let God feed your faith and then pray out of what God shows you in His Word. That's so vitally important in your life. So Jesus confronts the cause of our powerlessness. It is faithlessness and it is prayerlessness. Is that true of you? Then folks, what's going to happen after today? Are you going to be different? Are you going to keep going the way you're going? Are you going to begin to let God feed your faith, change you, and get you into the Word and deepen and, and strengthen your faith relationship? That's one way you learn from Christ in the midst of the school of failure. But thirdly, Jesus 
in the school of failure, Jesus cures and demonstrates his power over our enemy. Verses 42 and 43, the Bible says, now Jesus has says, bring your son to me, bring your son here. And verse 42, the Bible says, as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his Father. In the process here, as we see this demon, once again, he's not going to let go. He's not going to let go easy. So he dashes him and, and, and again, threw him into this convulsion. And he's not going to give up without a fight. But, but again, Jesus, who possesses all power, rebuked this demon, delivered him, and healed the boy. Jesus, uh, Mark rather indicates that, that again, even, even after commanding him, he once again uh, sought to, uh, to throw the child down and, and these convulsions came upon him. In fact, Mark indicates that people thought the child was dead as a result of what had happened there, but, but he was actually delivered. That reminds us, Scripture says Satan came, the enemy, the thief, to steal, to kill to destroy. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our children. He wants to destroy our families. He's, he's, uh, he's seeking to destroy our nation. He hates everything godly, and he hates everything that brings glory to Christ. That is who he is and what he does. But dear friend, brother, and sister, through the power of the cross, Jesus has destroyed him and his power. He's rendered him powerless. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And ultimately, he will be cast into the lake of the fire with all of his demons. Uh, in the meantime, uh, he is still wreaking havoc. But as a child of God, he has delivered us from the enemy and from his power. People say, ask, is, is demon possession still around today? Absolutely. That doesn't mean that everyone with a physical, mental, or, or handicap is demon possessed. Absolutely not. But again, Satan and his demons, uh, again, are still at work all around us. And, uh, and Scripture warns us to guard our hearts uh, uh, and, and to, to, uh, to be wise and to resist the devil uh, steadfastly and to, to watch him flee. But dear friend, we, we're also commanded to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That means we don't make any provision. You know, sadly, what some people try to do is just see how much they can get away with. They want to see how much they can, they can uh, make provision and enjoy their flesh. But dear friend, that is not true of the heart of the child of God. And as, as God's children, we open our hearts to the enemy. We make place for the enemy. Uh, and there's all kinds of ways the enemy's at work in our day. Certainly, again, through, through, the, through the flesh, through today, through television, through internet, other media that is wicked and pure and demonic. When we allow those things in our lives, we're open our, opening ourselves up to his influence in our lives. You see, the Lord Jesus has provided victory over the enemy. Amen? But we are responsible we are responsible for putting on Christ and for resisting Satan in the power of the Word of God and the power of His Spirit. Jesus cures and demonstrates His power over our enemy. Number four, Jesus calls us back 
to his mission. Notice the second part there, uh, verse 43. The Bible says, while everyone, they say it was at verse 43, uh, they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of of men. These people were, were amazed at the greatness of God. You can imagine the celebrating, woo, you can imagine how exciting they were. And, and, and they were doing, they were, they were real, realizing that this was something God had done. And in essence, this passage is acknowledging the, the, the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. They were, they were marveling at the greatness of God and, and at the great things Jesus was doing. So they were celebrating that. They were, the, the word that it receives emphasis in the original text is the word marveling. And so again, they were, whoo, they were excited about what God had done. I can just imagine the disciples. They just came down off that mountain and even the nine now, they too had to be excited about this good thing that was, was happening. They were thrilled. They were excited about it. And maybe those disciples were saying, all right, yeah, the glory's back. The glory's back. You know, Jesus had already told them not long before about his death, how he would be delivered, how he would die. And they didn't like that. You know, Peter wanted to rebuke the Lord Jesus for that. Went to the, the, the mountaintop. They saw the glory. So maybe they're thinking, wow, maybe now we're back on track. Maybe those things about Jesus' death, may, maybe those weren't, maybe he didn't really mean that. Uh, and maybe we, we can avoid that. We can go straight to the crown and forget the cross. So Jesus reels them back in, even in the midst of all the celebrating and all the glory shouting going on. Jesus brought them back and, and he says, I don't want you to forget, I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to die, ultimately what he's saying. And, and, and so Jesus is reminding them that this is his mission. This is why he came. Again, in Mark 10, 45, Scripture says, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, and he'll say in, in Luke 19, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Satan wanted to gets Jesus off track of his mission, but Jesus was focused on his mission that this is why he came, redemption, the salvation of souls, to give his life, to lay down his life, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God for him, that we might have a gospel to proclaim to a, to a lost and dying world. And friend, that is still the mission in fact, recently I heard uh, Vance Pittman preach a message at the, uh, the uh, mission, called a missions conference last week. And, and he said, you know, uh, we, I don't know why the, the word missions, missions has an S on the end of it. He said that there, there should never be a word called missions. There's just one. Jesus has one mission. And, and, that, and it is our mission. That's why Jesus came and that's why he sends us. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That is our mission. So Jesus is calling us back to, to our mission. And, and you see, just like, uh, you know, you think, well, that's great. Healing people, that's wonderful. I mean, being able to see Jesus in his glory on that mountaintop, wow, that's wonderful. Who would not want that? But Jesus again reminds us that not to get distracted, not to get distracted by good things so that we focus, so that we fail to focus on the main thing of what he's commissioned us to do. Jesus calls us back to his mission. But fifth and finally, 
learning from Christ in the school of failure. Jesus compels us to rely on him in faith. Jesus compels us to rely on him in faith. Again, in verse 45, the Bible says they, they did not understand this saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They didn't understand this matter of death. And, and they really didn't understand it until after the resurrection. That's why even after his death, they seemed so surprised and shocked and felt like Jesus had failed. But this was his plan all along. But here's, what, here's the sad thing is they never asked him. They were afraid to. I don't know. You know how, those, how you have those questions I want to ask, but I look dumb. Why didn't they ask? They could have asked. And, and, and Jesus would have responded to them. And, and again, the same problem that led to their failure, their spiritual impetus has, impotence had also now led to their spiritual ignorance. They never asked. Again, friend, that's what is so wonderful about the Lord Jesus. That's what's so wonderful about His Word. You know, we all admit there's some, there's some truths, some heavy truths, some hard sayings in this book. There's things we don't understand. Then why don't we ask the Lord Jesus? He's given to us His Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He's given us, as Ephesians talks about, the, uh, His uh, illumination of, of Scripture that we might understand His truth, that we might know His truth. And, and so Jesus compels us to rely on Him in faith and never feel we've arrived, never feel we've got it all down, but constantly look to Him and rely on Him in faith to understand His truths, to receive His truth, to be taught by Him. Once again, that's why the Father said, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to Him. Well, again, dear friend, failure is something that we all have experienced and all will experience, but it's not where God wants us to live. And failure is not final. God wants us to learn from those things and grow forward in them and become more and more like Christ. You know, you might think, well, you know, after Peter uh, had experienced uh, all of these things, seen all these miracles, uh, heard all these teachings of the Lord Jesus, certainly after that, he would be much more equipped and would avoid failure, right? Well, if you know the rest of his story, you know, truthfully, Peter's greatest failure was near the very end, or the, was at the very end of Jesus' ministry. When uh, in, in that moment, he was, he was given the opportunity to confess Christ there in the, in the garden, just within uh, distance of the Lord Jesus, of seeing him there as he warmed, by, warmed himself by that fire. And, and he denied the Lord Jesus, as Jesus told him he would, not one time, but three times he denied the Lord Jesus. Jesus had told him, behold, to Peter, he said, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And of course, you know, Jesus came to him after the resurrection. He saw him directly. And I believe in that first appearance, that private Meeting time with Peter, he assured him of his forgiveness and of his love and his grace. Maybe Peter still thought, well, he's forgiven me, but he still can't really use me. And on that shore of Galilee, in one of the appearances of the Lord Jesus before, before his ascension, he appeared there to, to Peter, and that was the incident when he three times told him to feed his sheep, tend his lambs. He not only forgave him, but he restored him 
showing Peter that failure's not final. In fact, the Lord Jesus used that failure in his life to bring brokenness to Peter, to bring him to a place where he could use him because Peter was so proud and so full of himself. God used that failure to bring him to brokenness where once again he could use him for his glory. And of course, on that day of Pentecost when Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people were saved. Jesus is still teaching us, restoring us in our failure. So friend, if you're here today and, and, and you know failure, you, you're very familiar with failure and, and you've heard the enemy to say and, and to you and whisper in your ear, you failed. You're a failure. No, dear friend, we can fail, but as God's children, we are not failures. That is not our name. That is not who we are. We are forgiven. We are restored. And God wants to use us. And God wants to use that failure in our lives uh, to teach us dependence, absolute, total dependence upon His presence, His power, His Word, to strengthen our faith, even as the Lord Jesus prayed for Peter that we might strengthen our brethren out of those experiences in our lives because that's what grace is for. And God always supplies that grace. Failure is not final. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.